Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture on this Thanksgiving Eve. We thank you for joining us, and I want to wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving and a safe holiday ahead. Here's what we have ahead today on our program. We're going to talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance. We're going to talk about uh, more information out now about EPA's granting of uh, waivers to small, supposedly small refiners and the hardships. Uh, again, another case where that's hard, that, that just shows those two terms are a real stretch when it comes to who EPA is granting the waivers to. We'll also be talking with Don Close, animal protein analyst with Robo AgriFinance, looking at the global animal protein 2019 outlook. So we have lots to talk about. I want to take just a moment to thank the Illinois Corn Growers Association. I was at their meeting yesterday, and they presented me with their media award. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much have a long history with the Illinois corn growers, started covering them back in the late 70s and really learned about ethanol and ethanol issues uh, working with them back in the late 70s when we called it gasohol back then. have come a long way since those days, but really appreciate the, the relationship I've had with the Illinois corn growers for many, many years and thank them again for the fine award that I received yesterday, their media award. Thank you very much. Saw a lot of, a lot of good friends yesterday at the Illinois Corn Growers annual meeting. Well, speaking of good friends, let's bring in Phil Brasher from AgriPulse Communications. I thought, Phil, here this, this Thanksgiving <laughs> Eve that we might talk about a, a farm bill deal being done, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait till after Thanksgiving. Well, they're still working on it. Uh, yeah, Mike, uh, great to be here. I, I uh, hope we might have something uh, more solid as well. Um, but uh, they're still working on it. The, uh, there's very much uh, a goal from leadership uh, on down of getting this done in December, uh, but we don't have the deal yet. How close do you think they are? I think they're pretty close. What's interesting, and I think the most important thing that surfaced in the last few days, actually, and that's this forestry management issue, and the administration, Trump administration, is really pushing this hard. There were some provisions in the House passed bill uh, to make it easier for, uh, for example, the Forest Service to uh, do more uh, thinning projects, uh, management of forests. Uh, to remove uh, material that could be uh, uh, that's uh, uh, you know, dead and dying uh, trees and, uh, and the like. Uh, it's, uh, by uh, uh, doing away with threat of uh, or reducing the threat of litigation that stops these projects from going forward, these provisions are very strongly opposed by the environmental uh, many of the environmental organizations. The administration now, using the California wildfires as a backdrop, is pushing very hard now in the last few days to get them in there. Uh, Secretary uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue and Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke held a conference call with reporters yesterday to push on this issue. And Secretary Perdue, again this morning, was on national public radio talking about the same thing So and the farm bill. Uh, so probably didn't think we'd be talking about the forestry title at this late a date, but that's uh, that's what we are. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Iowa Senator Grassley said yesterday a compromise farm bill could be attached to a fiscal 2019 spending measure that Congress has to get done by December 7th. How likely is that, you think? Uh, 
Well, I think that's a very likely scenario. That's often how these uh, these bills move at the uh, at the last minute as a big package uh, makes it much easier to to get through and uh, much more difficult to oppose as well. So that wouldn't be surprising at all uh, if that uh, if that in fact happens. Um, a number of the departments. Uh, actually including uh, USDA and FDA, run out of funding on December 7th unless Congress does something. Um, so uh, they will have to pass something uh, by December 7th. It could be short term, and then you know this, this could be extended for a week or two. Uh, so that's, that's not actually clear right now. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's very possible this farm bill could, then, uh, could be attached to whatever uh, moves uh, – in the spending area. So that could be the vehicle to get it passed. And you still have to get the agreement out of committee. And don't they have to do a lot of scoring right. and a lot of paperwork and things like that before it could actually be part of a final package to be voted on? Well, yeah, there is there is a lot of cleanup, getting the text right, uh, making sure all the, the, the spending, the cost estimates work out, uh, scores as you call them. Um, that Some of that text is already there, but it's still a matter of putting it together, making sure everything is in the you know the right order, and the eyes are dotted and the T's are crossed. That takes some time. That takes uh, so it, it doesn't happen overnight. So yeah, they've got several weeks, uh, two three weeks after Thanksgiving. But uh, so it's not terribly surprising. Look, if you want to get something in this bill, uh, you're going to play hardball, and you're going to play hardball as long as you think you can. So it's not terribly surprising that this would drag on um, to the uh, ultimate deadline, whatever that you consider that to be. Right. They're going to push it right to the end. Now, do they have – has there been any movement by Conaway on the the SNAP program and the worker requirements? What I am told – by a source very close to the negotiations that they're largely going to leave that up to the administration to deal with. Um, they, USDA has developed a proposed rule which would effectively make it more difficult for states to get waivers from the existing work requirements, which apply to able-bodied adults without children at home who are between the ages of uh, 18 and 50. The House bill would have expanded that to people in their 50s and parents of kids over six, um, which hence the big uh, disagreement with the Senate uh, and with uh, Democrats broadly through Congress. Um, that's that's not going to get through, but uh, it sounds like it. This is this has been the end game scenario for a while that they might leave that wind up leaving that to the. Uh, to USDA just to tighten the existing uh, to, uh, work requirements to make it, again, to make it harder for states to get waivers from, from those rules. All right, so have they gone? The right. Have they all gone off for Thanksgiving now, or are uh, there still some staff working on any of this? Staff, the staff is, it, it's been in town. They're working. This is all going on at the staff level right now. Um, there's, we're told to stick around through uh, through the Thanksgiving weekend. So, uh, I, you know, 
I have to tell you, these uh, folks that work for these committees and work for mm-hmm. work for Congress at the staff level are often underappreciated in terms of the amount of work that they do and the hours they work, especially when the, when major bills are up uh, that they're that they're responsible for, and uh, that's the case here with the farm bill. That's for sure. The, the, I mean, the detail work, the, uh, the behind-the-scenes work that they do is uh, tremendous. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of their life. The, they don't have a lot of personal yeah. life uh, besides uh, <laughs> doing all that, that's for sure. Well, Phil, thanks a lot. We'll talk yeah. more after the holiday. Have a very happy yeah. Thanksgiving. Okay. You too. Great to be here. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications with a Farm Bill update. All right, we're going to talk markets going into Thanksgiving. We'll talk with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N-Family Fire. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Let's check the markets heading into the uh, Thanksgiving break. Joining us now, grain and oil seeds analyst for Rambo AgriFinance, Steve Nicholson. Steve, thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Mike. Same to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. I know uh, a lot of farmers are hoping that after Thanksgiving they'll have more to be thankful for when it comes to the markets and grain prices. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, you know, I was thinking about that this morning before we came on, and I think one thing farmers should be looking at right now is, you know, while the futures markets have been fairly flat, I mean, when we look at the overall, and we've been a little volatile here the last week, I, I think the thing to be watching is basis levels. Uh, we have seen basis levels, you know, they hit a low early on in the season, early fall, I would say, uh, right before harvest. And then they have, they have kind of percolated up all the way since then, which I'm saying, you know, early to mid-September. And so I think that's something to be watching very carefully. And, you know, while it's right now it's working, uh, the fact that producers are not selling, they're, put, they're storing it all away, um, that is producing basis levels that have, you know, upside potential. So I think um, – Producers should be watching those and looking for those opportunities. You know, I'm not saying that they're, you know, they're, they're better than they were. They're not where we'd like them to be uh, if you're a producer or a seller, but they are moving upwards. I think that's where your opportunity is probably going to come is in those basis levels as, as end users and elevators and, you know, exporters need, need grain to, to do what they need to do with it. Are you getting any reports from the country of uh, uh, concerns over grain quality, this grain that's in storage, and how long it can last and stay in good shape. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got it piled up and stored everywhere, it seems. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we haven't heard anything about grain quality yet. Um, but, you know, we, tur- we went from summer to, to winter almost overnight, it seemed like, across the Corn Belt. So I think the, the, the cold temperatures will help that. But I will say anecdotally, I'm more concerned about soybeans than I am corn. Um, we have heard some anecdotal stories, and we all hear these, that, you know, beans that got in, they were still in the field and they got froze. And we've heard, I've heard, you know, black and, black and purple beans that, you know, just got burned in the field by the cold temperatures. And I think that's a concern for me, you know, the fact is if they're not out, um, you know, they're going to, you know, the quality is going to be hurt, particularly on beans more so than corn. Um, and so I think that's my concern here. But I also... You know, I would certainly encourage producers to be paying attention to their extension grain um, folks who watch this sort of thing very closely. Uh, I do think that beans are going to be the one that we're going to be struggling with when it's all said and done. Um, corn probably will be okay. But I will tell you, though, too, you know, people talk about the bags or the sausage bags or whatever you want to call them, and those that have experience with them has had, have had really good, good experience with them. And I would encourage, again, farmers not only talk to those extension grain quality people, but if you have neighbors or people you know who have used bags in the past, I would certainly tap them for their, you know, their experiences and their and their expertise. Yesterday, I was at an Illinois corn growers meeting, and you know, mm-hmm. Illinois is a state that's was able to get most of the harvest done pretty quickly compared to some of the other states that are yes. still struggling. But but yeah. I was surprised that so many farmers came up to me and said that they either just finished up or they knew some neighbors that still had some to finish yep. up. No, that I was. I had gone down uh, into Owensboro, Northern Kentucky, Owensboro, Kentucky, last week, and we grew drove from St. Louis to Owensboro down I-64. And this was on Wednesday before the big snow that happened kind of across this part of the country. 
And it was amazing to me also the number of combines in the field that night. I mean, working hard to get those beans out before the snow. And I, I was amazed because I had the same perception is that, you know, most, most of Illinois was done um, and that there was very little left. But, boy, that was not the case a week ago. And, and, in, and we know, and you mentioned it right there in your question, as you come west and north, they have really struggled to get this crop out of the ground. And I know people around here in St. Louis um, who typically are done, you know, a month ago are still, I'll say, struggling to get it out of the ground because it just we just can't get enough dry weather to get, you know, not get out there and just get stuck. So I, Doc, I do think Steve that's going to be a struggle. Yeah. We're talking with Steve Nicholson yep. with Agri- Robo AgriFinance. Steve, let me, let me, let's talk about this G20 meeting coming up. It, it just feels like... Yep. The anticipation, the buildup is so great that it's either going to be a, a huge boost or a major disappointment. I mean, I'm not sure if there's going to be anything in between here. Is it all or nothing on on this G20 meeting? I mean, that's a that that's kind of a big buildup for yeah. a meeting that with big problems that would seem like almost impossible to to, uh, to uh, work through in in one meeting. What are we hoping for? What's our best case scenario? Yeah. You think realistic yeah. realistically? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Is that this has gotten such a big buildup, and it could be we could be just euphoric after it, or we could be extremely disappointed. And I think the markets will reflect that. I, I do want to one thing that we have on very good, very good knowledge within our team is that we've been told very pointedly is that when we look at this Chinese-U.S. trade negotiations, I'm going to put them in that context. Is that you know. You know, Wilbur Ross can go talk to the Secretary of Commerce. The president can go talk to the president of, of China. Uh, you know, members of Congress and delegations can go back and forth. But the, the comment to us that was made to us from a very good source said that until you see Robert Litzinger out there, you know, doing the negotiations, nothing is going to happen. And so I think that's the key to thing to watch is that, yes, the president of the United States and the president of China can get together and can have a, a nice discussion. And that's fine. I'm glad they're doing that. But the, the fact is, until we see the people who do the negotiations on these trade situations sit down the table and really get at it, I don't think we're going to see any progress being made. I think the best thing we could hope is out of this meeting, it, this is my view, I think the best thing we could hope out of this meeting is that both countries agree that their trade negotiators will sit down and start to have discussions. To me, that would be a huge step forward to try to get this done. But you know, I'm I'm a little probably like you and a lot of people out there where, where there's a lot of hope here, but I think we have to have a, a healthy bit of skepticism um, that anything's going to happen out of this G20 meeting, and that I'm I'm afraid to say as we've talked before, you know, until we see Litzinger sit down, I think this is we're in for a long haul here right now. Yeah, I think it's too much to think there's going to be some major agreement announced. But if, if they come out yeah. of it saying we're going to keep talking, I think that that would be a positive and give people hope. Now, also could yeah. come out of this maybe would be uh, something along the lines of lifting those tariffs on steel and aluminum on Mexico that's really hurting our pork exports and some other sales there. Yeah, I mean, we've got a whole bunch of other things. And, you know, I should mention, you know, one thing we should talk about is that, you know, China just opened an anti-dumping investigation against Australia malting barley. And so it doesn't appear the Chinese are letting up. And I think I need to just kind of insert that in here. But, yeah, I mean, we're seeing, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole tenor of the economy with these tariffs is starting to have some impacts here. Steel aluminum is a really good example. We're seeing that here. Even in Missouri, we're seeing companies who are really struggling with that. 
you know, it's raising prices on companies. We're starting to see companies show, you know, quarterly earnings that are a little bit uh, less than, you know, the market would like to see because they're seeing increased costs in their commodities. And so all, you know, and I'm thinking of steel and and steel and, and um, aluminum up front, but, you know, these are, this all has, and in, in, from an economist's point of view, you know, tariffs do have a, a negative effect on economies and negative effects on markets overall. So I, I think that's I think that's the other thing to be watching and being careful about is that as we see um, economy slow or we see in you know industry have you know not negative profits but profits less than we would expect uh, you know tariffs do have impacts. And Steve, the, it feels like the clock also ticking as we go to the end of the year because we're hearing about what could be a huge soybean crop coming out of especially Brazil and that it could hit the market yep. sooner than usual. Yeah, and that's a, it's a great point. I mean, it is could hit the market early. They got in well. They got in. They got started early. They got this crop in the ground. And I think the other piece to think about that is, yes, we have a big Brazilian crop coming, uh, probably Argentina as well. Um, and the other piece of that is, and from a corn perspective, means that they got the soybean crop early and they get it out on time. Um, they will get a they will get a bigger second crop or safrina crop in the ground and potentially up too, which will also be a little which will be a little bit negative on the corn market as well. So I think you know you have thinking a little bit down the road on all the impacts that that means, and I think it's a great question, something we need to be paying attention to. And the fact is, if they get that crop in the ground early, or as they have, and it gets out early, that just closes closes the window or makes that time period even shorter that the U.S. has an opportunity to export soybeans in, into China. So we've been saying this for a long time, but we have markets in search of good news. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I thought about that when this went on. Is that we, we've, had this, we've been down this road before, and, you know, I think it's, it is a market in search of good news. And, I, you know, I think the other thing that we, we haven't talked about, and, I, I, you know, as, I, as you said, we follow grains and oil seeds, but we also follow animal protein. And, you know, the, the hog situation around the world with the African swine fever is a very scary proposition for it for animal protein people, particularly hog people, um, and it does have negative impacts short-term, certainly on the, on the animal protein. Mm-hmm. Longer-term has better news for poultry or for poultry and beef, uh, but, you know, that, in, that short-term, intermediate-term impact on not only the animal protein complex, but on, you know, the grain oil seed complex from a feed perspective uh, is also something to be paying attention to and watching very carefully. Well, that's a good segue. We're going to talk global animal protein outlook coming up in our next segment. Thanks thanks a lot, Steve. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Steve Nicholson, grain and oilseeds analyst with Robo AgriFinance. Coming up next, Don Close, animal protein analyst for Robo, as we take a look at that global animal protein 2019 outlook. That's next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. When it comes to squeezing the most fuel efficiency out of every gallon of diesel fuel, there's nothing better than Diesel X Gold from FS. Modern engines are designed with more power while preventing harmful emissions. Diesel X Gold keeps them operating that way with its advanced detergent chemistry that keeps injectors operating like new and its healthy dose of cetane improver that makes sure engines start quickly and combust fuel more completely. So count on Diesel X Gold from FS. Absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. 
Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Here's a market update for Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network on this day before Thanksgiving. Limited market activity and sluggish pre-holiday trade are the buzzwords today as most trader desks are ghost towns until Monday. Now, the market did jump a little bit early in the day, but now has settled back. December corn is down a quarter at 371. March is down a quarter at 372. Soybeans for January are up two at 883. March up a penny and three quarters at 896 and a quarter. Chicago wheat for December down one at 499 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat for December is down two at 471. December wheat at Minneapolis, though, is up two and a quarter at 572. And March at Minneapolis is up two cents at 572 and a quarter. Canola's at 487.60. That's up two dollars and twenty cents. Again, a slow market is expected uh, livestock-wise today as well. Most plants will be closed on Thursday for Thanksgiving Day. Now, some of the cash markets could rally today ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday, but they're more than likely going to slow down until Friday when trading resumes. Again, the markets are closed tomorrow. December live cattle up forty cents at one sixteen ten. February up fifty seven at one twenty thirty. Feeder cattle for January up seventy cents at one forty seven fifty seven. March up sixty at one forty four seventy five. December lean hogs are down twenty seven at fifty eight seventy. And February down sixty two at sixty six fifty two. The Dow Jones is up today, up about 140 points this hour. NASDAQ is up nearly 94. Crude oil, after being up more than a dollar, has settled back to up about 95 cents this morning. That's a market update for Adams on Agriculture. This is the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, so we just talked with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Rabo AgriFinance, and he was talking about, hey, keep an eye on the animal protein outlook. So let's get the details there, as joining us now is Don Close. He's the animal protein analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Don, thanks for joining us, and you have uh, released your outlook for 2019. It looks like growth in global and we're looking global here. Growth in global animal protein is going on, but it looks like it's slowing down. 
I th- good, good morning, Mike. Uh, absolutely correct. We're certainly with the uh, the beef cycle here in the U.S. Uh, we think we're still expanding, but we'll we'll expand at an incredibly slow pace. Uh, largely a similar story in in Brazil, but those are those are the two uh, regions that are still showing growth. Australia is still seeing some contraction because of uh, the drought. Europe. Uh, drought problems and just total supply i think you'll see beef production somewhat lower in uh, in europe for the coming year and then the absolute uh, wild card in the market that we we're all talking about is just what kind of contraction will we see in the pork complex and and the damage done in china with uh, african swine fever and that's hard to know right now isn't it hard to get a real handle on that i think that's absolutely correct uh, you know, we're getting reports out of there. We know we've had uh, better than 80 cases. We know that it's in 18 provinces and, and has spread into their heaviest uh, pork production areas. There's still gigantic questions of how much news we're getting and, and how much more severe this is than what the, the published reports w- we have. So just tremendous uncertainties on that front. Don, this is really when we talk about global animal protein uh, production. I mean, we're talking a, a two-sided coin here, right? I mean, one, I mean, if they if they produce more, that means we're competing with more in the global marketplace for our with our exports. But on the other hand, if they're if they're producing less, that lessens the demand for feed grains. I think uh, well, with the with the global competition. Uh, you know, it, it's going to increase, um, and, and I think we've got to prepare for that. I think the, I think U.S. and North America is actually very well positioned in, in that, and, and specifically on the beef side, just because of North America being the source for high quality and ultra high quality product uh, that that we hold a differentiation there that the others don't. Certainly competition on on that pork market is going to be incredibly intense. Uh, still more and more more pressure from from growth in, in Brazil. But the you know the the extreme of this thing, if you take the the severity of ASF in, in China, what that could mean for Chinese purchases of imports of, of total proteins, but the declined usage of pork because of concerns, uh, consumer fears, and just how much increase you could see on broiler imports uh, that would largely come from Brazil, uh, and then increased beef imports that uh, would come globally. It's, uh, we have never seen a market with this kind of inherent vo- potential volatility. We're talking with animal protein analyst for Robo AgriFinance, uh, Agri Don Close. Yeah, Don, there's so much uncertainty, and a lot of it involves uh, the these trade issues and tensions that we've been talking about, whether it's with China, uh, whether it's with Canada and Mexico, or a host of others. I mean, that that really hangs over everything, doesn't it? It sure does. Uh, and and to make that even more complicated, uh, if our production estimates by speed. U.S. production estimates by species, we're looking for a 3% increase in both uh, 
beef and broiler production for the coming year. Uh, we're looking, you know, additional new pork, uh, pro- or, I'm sorry, poultry processing facilities come on online that will will support that that growth. Pork production domestically, we're looking for an increase of five percent. So, on the bear side of this case, we've got a huge increase in domestic supplies of protein domestically, and then we've got the uncertainty on the bull side of this is just how much exports could be stimulated not just with China, but, but globally, <coughs> excuse me, as other suppliers try to fill a void in China and whatever happens with the U.S. and China trade relationships. So you've got extreme bear and extreme bull scenarios I, that's going to lead to this volatility. And I think for, the, for 2019, it's just which one of those stories is making headlines on any given day will be the direction that the market takes. So mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to implement uh, risk management plans for the coming year. I mean, right now we're seeing the impact. It's being felt by our uh, pork industry. The impact of steel and aluminum tariffs on Mexico, that's really hurting our pork sales into that key market. It sure has. But I you know, I'm I'm going to take an optimistic uh, view on the uh, on North American trade. I think that uh, probably won't happen as quickly as any of us would like to see it. But I think the the the, the steel and aluminum tariffs, both Mexico and Canada, will be resolved. I, I have some concerns with the with the House uh, flip in the House and what complications that could cause for getting the. Uh, USMCA trade ratified, but North American trade, I think, will work itself out. Um, and certainly, that uh, still Mexico still holds potential, big potential growth for exports, both pork and beef, over time. I mean, there's there's hope that some some things will get worked out with uh, Europe. But wow, we have a long history of problems there, uh, especially on livestock issues. It would seem a, that's a that's a heavy lift to think we're going to get major breakthroughs there. I well, I can well. I'll give a real strong argument for my optimism in North American trade. I am not going to hold my breath with Europe. <laughs> You're right. No. That that has gone on so long. I think we're making headway. Uh, I read a really uh, good story out of the Australian press this morning with the uh, concerns the Australian has with the U.S. negotiating to get uh, a broader access to that uh, that beef quota, and and what. The damage that could cause to Australia, I can see their reason for concern. But again, that that has been such a, a long, drawn-out affair. I I don't know that anything will change real fast there. We're talking with Don Close, animal protein analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Don, how has uh, here domestically? How has our our meat consumption uh, levels gone? Are, are we still getting a lot of support? Are we? St- is our domestic market still strong? It's a mixed bag. Uh, our beef demand for domestic beef demand for 2018 has just been sh- short of phenomenal, uh, and particularly that demand has been focused on on high-end middle meats. Uh, it, it has it has been an exceptional market. On the uh, on the pork side, kind of a mixed bag. And uh, the species that is really having problems is on the broiler side, that uh, the strength in the economy, uh, the availability of product, consumers have certainly uh, 
been willing to upgrade their purchases to to the higher higher end meats, and it's been at the expense of broilers. Well, and we see that a lot, don't we? That competition within the meat case. It, uh, I think, as we see these supply, if we see production levels anything close to the levels that I, I implied earlier, uh, that competition that we will see at the meat case in, in 2019 is, is going to be a heck of a battle. Hmm. And one more note on China. We know the, the struggles there, the challenges there, but there's been a lot of focus on other parts uh, of, of the world there, Southeast Asia, uh, some emerging, emerging markets there. Do you see some potential for us? Absolutely, absolutely true. And, and the thing that, that I would state with that is if you take the dependence on exports that many of our competitors have with uh, Brazil and the quantity of exports they have, Australia on the beef side exporting uh, 65 to 70 percent of their production, uh, New Zealand exporting in excess of 80 percent of their production. You know, this year the U.S. on beef on the beef side will be something around the 12 to 13 percent of our production. So those other countries, they need a big agreement with China or they need a, a mega trade to show a sizable increase in their production of, uh, or production of exports. Where the U.S., um, you know, yeah, we have an aggressive level on certainly on pork in that 22% level, uh, broilers in that 18 to 20% uh, level, but at beef at, at 12 to 14, 12 to 13 percent, um, we can make massive headway, increase sales in, in our trade relationship with Japan and work something out with the tariffs. Uh, the growth we're seeing in in Vietnam, uh, the, the growth we've seen this year, massive growth with South Korea, that we don't have to have that mega country or mega, mega trade deals to see sizable increases uh, in, in our export levels that puts us in a, a very advantageous spot. So it sounds like livestock producers need to be ready for a volatile year in 2019. I think that's true, and, and I hope that uh, the, the message I've conveyed this morning, while I see the uh, big headaches with volatility for 2019, but when we're talking the position of North America in this global as this global trade uh, expands, I think there's a lot of things to really mm-hmm. be optimistic about uh, as far as North America's position for for the long stretch. All right. Don Close, Animal Protein Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Don, thank you very much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Mike, you're more than welcome. Happy holidays. Take care. Up next, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings. Stay with us on AOA. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. 
It's not just storing grain, it's storing quality. At FS, quality isn't just a promise, it's a statement. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so we have now learned that EPA granted Chevron Corporation a 2017 hardship waiver from complying with the renewable fuel standard at its Utah refinery. Despite the fact that Chevron posted net profits of nearly $10 billion dollars, that's with a B, $10 billion in 2017. So evidently, EPA has redefined terms like hardship and small refineries. Let's talk about it with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Now, Brian, I know you're thankful for many things uh, this Thanksgiving season, but this is not one of them. This is definitely not one of them, Mike. i got to tell you, um, I think Chevron is, is laughing all the way to the bank right now, along with some of these other refiners, that that it blows one's mind that, that they can justifiably receive these so-called economic hardship exemptions from EPA, knowing what we know about them. You, you talked about the net profits of Chevron in 2017. Other refiners who were incredibly profitable in 2016 and 2017 are on the list of, of the 50 now refineries that have been able to escape their legal obligations to um, blend renewable fuels or buy RINs in lieu of that um, from, from EPA under the RFS. You know, ethanol prices have collapsed to a, about a 13-year um, low, and ethanol plants right now are, are bleeding. They are absolutely losing money. And so it's not. It's going to be a tough Thanksgiving for a lot of folks in the renewable fuels industry. But uh, the oil refiners are, are are doing all right. Thanks. So how do they rationalize or justify this, Brian? I mean, do, do are they say? Is does EPA say? Well, yeah, Chevron may make ten billion dollars in profit, but this one particular plant in Utah may not have been doing so well. Is that how they justify it? I think so, Mike. One of the problems is because the agency, because EPA, has not been forthcoming regarding how they come to these conclusions and they consult with the Department of Energy, you and I are left to speculate how Chevron would get one of their refineries in Utah to to receive the, the kind of exemption that they did. And so I'm guessing what you just outlined is probably exactly right. Chevron produced some information about this Utah refinery um, that they think justified getting uh, a waiver. Um, the trouble is, I think it's, it's, it really is hard to accept that a, a, a refiner as large as Chevron, who has had so much experience blending ethanol and biodiesel with their petroleum products over the course of time, had a difficult... Uh, time either purchasing renewable fuels at an affordable price in 2017 or 
acquiring RINs in lieu of that at an affordable price. And so, um, you know, I'm going to be a skeptic until I can see the documentation that justified this decision. And the trouble is, well, under former Administrator Pruitt, EPA was so secretive about how they came to these conclusions or made these decisions, we're left to speculate. And then to add insult to injury, you have uh, the fact that EPA finds time to grant the waivers, but they're putting off until February uh, getting a rule done that would allow E15 year-round, which means it'll be very hard to get it done probably by June when the summer driving season starts. That's precisely um, correct. And I know Acting Administrator Wheeler has said more than once the president promised we would get the rule for E15 year-round done by the summer driving season of 2019. We will get it done. But we had a lot of nice promises from um, Administrator Pruitt of EPA about certain things, only to, to learn that um, his actions were not making good on those words. And so it is insulting to rural America um, you know, a big splash was made about E15 year-round before the election, and now we have to wait around three or four months before EPA will even bother to take the time to, to initiate the rulemaking process. Um, this doesn't look right, and it's, it's, it is really insulting, I think, to, to a lot of rural Americans who support this administration. Meanwhile, we're waiting for the numbers uh, for... Uh, the RFS from EPA for 2019, the RVO levels. What are you expecting to hopefully here at the end of the month? Yeah, I think next week. I mean, who knows? It could be today, um, but I'm guessing it'll be next week, Mike, and I'm guessing what EPA will finalize for 2019 is is nearly 20 billion gallons of renewable fuel, very similar to the proposal. Um, 15 billion gallons of that will likely be conventional biofuel, but overall, I think it will look good on paper, what EPA is proposing next week. The problem is, in the real world, when EPA has granted, you know, these 50-some small refinery exemptions, allowing all these RINs to be kept by these refiners, inflating the, the supply of RINs, decreasing the price of RINs, that has an incredibly bearish effect on ethanol demand and on the RFS's ability to spur demand. And so on paper, the RVOs for 2019 are going to look pretty good. In reality, it's going to mean um, more supply-demand imbalance. We're going to have way too much ethanol supply on the market and not, not enough demand. Yeah, I think back, we used to get excited about these numbers, thinking, wow, it's all in those numbers, but we've learned that's not the case. We've learned that's not the case, and we've learned that... Um, Administrator Pruitt was uh, pretty clever in finding a backdoor way to allow refiners to escape their legal responsibilities to blend renewable fuels. We have been hopeful, Mike, that acting Administrator Wheeler is going to take a different approach. He now wants the job full-time, or we, we've learned the president will nominate him full-time. We've got some leverage now for the confirmation process, the nomination process, and working with senators to hold his feet to the fire. Um, but we have to get back to the, the law is the law, and EPA needs to follow the law. 
All right, Brian, thank you very much. We'll be watching for those numbers coming up, as you said, anytime. And uh, these are challenging times for the ethanol industry. We'll uh, hopefully going to get some better news and better times ahead real soon. Thank you, Brian. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Mike. Thank you. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. We'll have best of programs the next couple of days. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone.